0: All right, episode number 13 with Steve Smith, many of you will know him as Red Green, he's had a fascinating career and we sat down and chatted about uh, his whole career, everything from the beginning up until now, and uh, I've been working with Steve for the last several years on his tours, and I know you're going to really enjoy our talk in this podcast. All right, let's get it going. (laughs) All right, we're here with Steve Smith, as a lot of you know as Red Green. Um, do you find that? Do you have a lot of people just call you Red Green? I, mean, I guess you would. Yeah, You're I, do, used to that. I do.
1: They'll say, "Hey, hey, Red, how's it going, Red?" That yeah. kind of thing. But you know, I, I created the character, and I'm right for the character, so that's where he came from. I, you know, I can't really blame anybody else. So I don't mind.
0: Yeah, I guess if someone like seeing someone on TV, like a, a TV show, obviously they saw you on TV, but you're watching friends yeah you probably relate to that person as the, character. as the character yeah
1: but they're they're doing a script in most cases and sometimes they get a little huffy about you know like say William Shatner being yeah. Captain Kirk he's not that happy about no he didn't create <laughs> cast of Kirk. it's like somebody threw a veneer on you while you're asleep yeah
0: and now you're known by your veneer yeah, he seems to be like a very unhappy person in general <laughs> anyways. <laughs>
1: if he ever comes to earth, I think he'll be fine. Yeah,
0: exactly. So where, you, did you actually grow up in Hamilton or that area?
1: No, you know, I, well, I, I, until I was about 12, I lived in Toronto. I was born in Toronto. Oh, okay. And then we moved to Brantford and then we moved to Mississauga. And then I uh, started a band and we all bought a house in Grimsby, some big old 17-room thing. And then uh, and then we moved to Hamilton from there, and then went to Burlington, came back to Hamilton. A lot, of, a lot of moves for some reason or other.
0: Yeah, but not too far. They're not as if you're moving. No, you know, to another province or. No, no, no. that's
1: right. They're not not big changes that way. I mean, I mean, our friends and our family were here, so I guess we just yeah. kind of settled in the area.
0: So, for the people don't know, you actually started off as a musician and singer. And um, what did you you play guitar, correct? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, I sort I'm not really I'm not a musician you know in the terms of of playing an instrument well, I think I think I have music in me. Uh I wrote a lot of songs when my wife and I were doing a TV show, but I always loved music. I think there's a real connection between music and comedy anyway. Yeah. Like I only work with editors who can dance because if you if you can't get the rhythm of of a comedy line, you know, you're done. Uh so it was a hobby for me. You know, I was um after high school, we formed a little group and just kept it going. I, I taught public school for a couple of years and then ended up uh, leaving all that and, and, and taking a chance on the music business.
0: So you went to school to, uh, for as a teacher, for a teacher?
1: Yeah, back in those days you know uh, as long as you were six months older than the students you could teach there was, there, there was, there was I, I, I used to uh, teach guitar lessons on Wednesday because I took them on Tuesday the same kind of thing uh, so uh, yeah you went for one year after high school and you you had your teacher certificate Wow that was you know? it yeah so I know and that was for, for the elementary school for high school you had to have a, a university degree but yeah. uh, that's all changed now.
0: So, going back in, into public school and into high school, uh, did you consider most people considered yourself as the funny guy in the, in the class? Were you the ca- class clown or were you pretty quiet?
1: Well, in between those two. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, grades six, seven, and eight, I had the same teacher all three years, which yeah. is kind of unusual. Yeah. And she was fantastic. And she, I was allowed to speak out in class, I was the only one. Who was allowed to speak out in class? Wow. Because I would say things that were not destructive; they were just funny. They it, it, she felt it helped her keep the class interested. I'd say something about what she was talking about yeah. that kind of added an entertainment component. And you know, I didn't know at the time, but I, I'm not sure I would have pursued what I ended up doing if I hadn't had that, you know, encouragement yeah. uh, fr- at that at, at that early age you when know, I was kind of small and. I wouldn't say I was really shy but I certainly kept to myself I wasn't one of these I didn't do practical jokes I wasn't the loud guy you know but I had funny ways of looking at things that the teacher supported and that that really helped me.
0: That's yeah that's pretty interesting yeah because you wouldn't normally get that because the teacher would want but she's she understood that it kept everyone interested and uh, smart on her end as well.
1: Yeah actually the Ontario Teachers Federation came to me and wanted they have a little magazine and they wanted to know if there's ever a teacher that really had influenced me yeah and i went crazy about her her name was ruth purdy and just absolutely altered my life and 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 perhaps did for other students because she was that way with everybody she tried to figure out what it was about you that should be encouraged yeah
0: so did she in later years get to see you perform or and or see any shows or or, not you know not as far as
1: i knew you know i mean there was a there was a big gap between uh, me being in grade seven and me being yeah. red-green. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the I'm the Colonel Sanders of comedy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: you wonder, though, if she was able was to Was aware yeah. or something. Yeah. She
1: may have been. I don't know, yeah, you yeah. know.
0: So, getting into music, what what was your kind of influences in music when you were in, in high school and that?
1: Well, in the 60s. I was a yeah. teenager in the 60s. Uh, you know, the whole folk thing where you just... Uh, you, you have a guitar and a, and a harmonica and you, away you go you know and there's yeah. coffee shop and i lived in streetsville so it's a small it was a police village <laughs> i don't i never knew what that meant but anyway uh, they had opened a coffee shop. they converted a gas station into a coffee shop it was called the in crowd and a bunch of us thought well let's just let's put something together so six of us formed this group with guitars and stand-up bass and i don't know what else but anyway we learned uh, 12 songs and went down there and auditioned yep. and got the got the gig. So we'd work Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. And I'm in Friday night till maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, six of us. And I think we got 125 bucks. you know, so we were, you couldn't have been it. happier. It's like we <laughs> are rolling, you know.
0: Yeah. That's probably, was probably pretty decent for, for that time.
1: I guess it was. It's mm-hmm. what we got. I, I don't even think they served alcohol at the place, you know, so it was... I mean, it, it went. The place went under even at that. Yeah. At that overhead, <laughs> couldn't make it work.
0: I know. Last week, when I was talking to Frank Mills, he was mentioning when he started doing dances when he was in high school. He'd come home with fifteen dollars, and that was just yeah huge. Yeah. And that he showed. hey, looked at. does any. I got
1: a friend yeah. who was uh, he wanted to be a stand-up comedian. He went to moved to New York, and he uh, had that they had this open mic at this <laughs> comedy place. I forgot what it was called, but he said. He went for six months, and he, he got so good that he didn't have to pay to perform. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: The, uh, so were your parents pretty supportive of music, and um, could they see, or is it the usual, you
1: know? Yeah, uh, you know, funny, my father, was he was a musician in his younger years, played the saxophone. And uh, I brought the saxophone home from, like you could take instruments home from school. I brought it home for him to try, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't touch it. It was like yeah. he had decided that wasn't the way to go, and yeah. you know, he wasn't going to go back on it. So he really wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't supportive at all. He told my mother, you know, that boy is not going to amount to anything. You know I didn't know that at the time, but I, <laughs> I certainly could sense it. <laughs> but my mother was just, whatever I wanted to do was great my mother she's she's still with us she's 95 years old and just kicking along yeah she's cool that's awesome yeah
0: so you finished up high school you went and did the teachers thing for a year and uh, yeah two years I was I
1: I I always say I saved an entire generation by quitting (laughs) (laughs) then I went back to university and then that didn't work out would you, would you
0: take when you went back
1: well I had first of all I took engineering when I went after I graduated from high school I, w- I went and took engineering at Waterloo yeah. and that didn't go so good and then um, when I came back my dad wanted me to take an aptitude test it so we could find out what kind of work I was out of and uh, so we <laughs> went and I did that <laughs> it was like a three-day thing in Toronto you write right all this stuff out. yeah me. so then the guy he has this big graph of what I'm good at and what I'm lousy at. And so he said, what you're really lousy at is sales. You, really, you should not, don't get involved with sales at all. But he says, over on this side, you know, your mechanical aptitude and so on is very, very high. So you should, you, you should go to a university and take some kind of an engineering course, which I just <laughs> flunked out of. So I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. At the other end of your graph, there's one that's even higher than the, you know, mechanical aptitude. What's that? He says, oh, no, that's that's your entertainment quotient, but you can't, you can't make a right. living at that. I mean, this is, <laughs> what he meant was he can't make a living exactly. at that. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that was, so then from there, I went, I went into teaching. I always wanted to be a teacher. Then I went back to university, I went to McMaster and took... Uh, Economics and, polit- economics and political science. And after about a year and a half of that, I said, no, this is not for me either. And I went and I, I actually sold gears. I worked for Boston Gear and sold gears, or I was supposed to sell gears, but I went to people hoping they would buy gears. This is after I was told Do no not get to not get sales. into sales. And I, I, I proved that part of it right. Yeah. And then we, we all, uh, all of us in the band, by then we were a rock band. Uh, we decided we were getting enough work that we could afford to just, Take a flyer, you know? Yeah. So that's what we did. I would, I would have been probably um, 1970 at that time. And for the next four years, we were on the road in this rock band.
0: So how much how big of an area did you tour? Did you just tour across Canada or you did you stay? You know, we did
1: a lot of U.S. colleges. Uh, yeah. We were a cover band, but we sort of added a bit of show to it, you know? So I don't yeah. know. It was like, it wasn't Las Vegas because we weren't slick like that. We were more rocky than... Was an odd niche, and, and you know that was a time in uh, in the early to mid '70s where you could you could work you know you could yeah. get work in a band you know there were there were lots of bars that paid well and universities and there's just a lot of work to do and now I mean you you got to pay to play there or you got to form you got to yeah. do a video you know I mean. You, and and all the years that we had done it part time, we paid off all our gear. So when day one we had no debt, you know. Yeah. If we made five bucks, then we made five bucks. There's no we didn't owe ten, you know, to anybody. Exactly. So that really helped us. We we uh
0: Well no distractions back then. You know, no, no internet, no, no people were starving for yeah, that's something right. something to do. And then the movies, I mean, obviously were there, but they weren't these mega places no. that we have now, wasn't Netflix, wasn't all that. No. Uh,
1: You know, it's funny, like now that I'm doing these live show tour things, it's interesting to me, the way I look at it is, there's never been easier access to everything in the world. You can see almost anything you want on your phone. Yeah. So there's no limited supply, with the exception of live performance. You're either in the room or you're not. Yeah. You know, and so if you're not in the room, you're not in the room. Whether you're watching it on a TV or a big screen or in a stadium or whatever, uh, you either got to be there... Or, or, you're, or you're not there, and I just think that's, that makes it, it it's like it cl- comes right back to where we started, which was the, the ability to connect with people personally, you know, we're all breathing the same air, and all, I think that, that, that part is really neat.
0: Well, I think people still really crave that. You, know, you look at Facebook and the amount of people who are addicted yeah. to Facebook, yeah. and I think a lot of people are just starving for some form of attention or connection to another human being, uh, even though it's just virtual to, to some extent, right? Absolutely, um, so that connection with people is still really important. Uh, but people are getting stuck into a false connection with people, um, yeah, on these social media sites. And you wonder, uh, you know, you take a look at things that are coming down the pipe now, is with virtual reality, and you put the goggles on, and you, yeah, you wonder if there's gonna be, your tour is going to be one show and everyone pays to watch it on their virtual glasses, right, and it would right. be like being there. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. doing it live, but you only have to do one show and you've got, you know, God knows how many people watching that, that one particular thing. Let's hope it doesn't. No, there'll be. A,
1: I know what you mean, I mean, that, it's very, very possible. I think that as humans, we are, we are programmed to be social right that's yeah. just it's in our dna and a lot of us really <laughs> resent it so we're we're trying to be social in the least social way you yeah. know like you see you have a family you force it at a restaurant and they're all looking at their phones i mean they're are they together or not you know whereas
0: and i think things like facebook and all those instagram it forces people who are not social to be social yeah because they can hide behind yes the frame of those, you know, those this computer screen, and it makes them social. But usually, it makes those people social in a a negative way. Yeah. I find those are the people who are the ones who who are complaining and and writing nasty stuff. And um, you it's know, it's amazing mad how much
1: anger is out in that world, isn't it? I it's mean, crazy. You look at anything. You pick any product, any subject, and you go on on Google or whatever, and just and Look at the comments. It's just holy cow. People who are happy are very very quiet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: You wonder because it's going to blow at some point. Yeah. You think that all this kind of anger and 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 this there's so much of it now. And yeah. It's got to peak at some point. It's got to be something that happens to calm everybody down. And I don't know what that's going to be. And <laughs> it's it's ridiculous though. So you you, yeah. you you pretty well have to make sure that you just don't look at comments or if you're if you have uh you're a person who gets lots of comments or lots of negativity you have to ignore it or else it would just eat you up inside oh
1: be a killer yeah Yeah. i I don't i don't i don't look at this stuff but i i mean i know when when we do a tour that uh the people that come up to talk to me afterwards are very friendly very positive complimentary and so on but they've been filtered out by the price of a ticket so that, yeah. that's not the general public you know yeah. i mean i think most people are probably ambivalent uh, towards me which is fine i i always said you know we never did the show for people who didn't like it you know yeah. we're only doing it for the one if and if nobody appreciates it we don't get to do it and that's that's fair enough you know yeah but yeah. i think too that not everybody deserves to be heard honestly i mean i know that's probably undemocratic to say but People who haven't, you know, had any experience or haven't put any effort into learning about what they're talking about, you know, don't have a valid opinion yet. I mean, they may be they may have one one day, but go out and do the work and, you know, find out all the information and everything and then see what your opinion is rather than just as knee jerk kind of.
0: Yeah, like I love watching some of these guys would go out to these protests and they debunk everybody. they go through the crowd and start asking them intelligent questions about yeah, what they're a, protesting about. They have no idea. No. <laughs> they have no idea what the top, you know, they have. Know. And it's just, oh gosh, at least you need be informed and uh, be knowledgeable about what you're, you're protesting about. Right, it's right. crazy. Yeah. So you went on tour for a few years. and, and Yeah, to uh,
1: 1974. And I'll tell you what happened. We were performing in at uh, Cornell University, Ithaca, New York. Wow. And uh, we had a manager then out of New York, and he had brought a guy, I don't even remember his name, but he was he was the manager for Deep Purple. And he came out to see us. And as I say, we were a cover band, but we had a show. There was a show to it. So. What was the name of the group? Jason, J-A-S-S-O-N. J-A-S-O-N. Yeah. So, uh, you know, usually when somebody comes out like that, you don't, you know, you stink, you know? Yeah. We, we we were just right, we were on that night, and we got three or four encores and everything. So after the show was over, I couldn't wait, I just couldn't wait to meet this guy, because like yeah. fi- finally all the forces of the universe came together. So he says to me, well, he said, uh, that was interesting. I said, interesting? I'm like, what do you mean, <laughs> interesting? He said, yeah. Well, he said, well, you did, you know, the Mamas and Papas, you did the Beatles, you did the Beach Boys, you did the Four Seasons. He says, I know all those groups. They do what they do better than you do what they do. Yeah. What do. What do you do? Yeah. And I'll tell you, Darren, it was like hitting me in the middle of the forehead with a sledgehammer. It was just like, he's right. Yeah. You know, if if you want to make a living out of this industry, you got to be prepared to add something to it, not just do your version of what's already there. Exactly. And so the next day, you know, we all had a big band meeting and I just said, you know what, we've got to, go one way or the other here either we step up and do whatever it is that we do or we step out you know (laughs) because we're we're going down a cul-de-sac here I'd rather turn around now you know so anyway we we couldn't come to agreement so my wife Morag she was in the group so she and I left the band uh, because it was nicer than firing everybody yeah and uh, and that's when we started Smith and Smith which was uh, just the two of us but I was writing everything. Yeah. So uh we couldn't get any work. I mean it was crazy but you know it was one of those it's interesting how we got to the end of that because that 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 wasn't a smooth ride at all but it ultimately worked out. But there I'll tell you there's some there's some dark days when you go down that road too, you know.
0: Yeah, cuz you you know you do covers to to pay the bills. Uh and you understand where that that guy was coming from, but yet that transition especially when you you're having success as a a band and you're making money right and you got to do that switch and then all of a sudden it's like oh you know am i prepared to go through this lull to get back to you know hopefully get back to a place that is going to create some money again and create interest and um
1: i think you have to change where you're playing as well because we were playing a lot of uh you know club work and and even colleges where they had an expectation of us performing the, the material they knew yeah you know so you want to go to a different audience you can't just go back there and start playing original music so you know what saved us probably in smith and smith was a, an irish bar in toronto the new windsor house at church in richmond yeah and uh they had, it was small but they had different levels so you'd play here and then you go up and play upstairs and while well, there was another group that would switch places with you but there was no dancing like, people were just sitting listening yeah well that was perfect for what we were doing because we were kind of doing comedy within songs and so on and a bit of pattern. and that really that helped us i mean every every chance we got we would perform in that place uh but for us to go into a holiday inn or something where your background for for salesmen picking up waitresses yeah that was not our thing at all
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you consider if you look back if you go see whatever group say if you want to go see queen yeah or something and they're they're gonna say oh here's three brand new songs we're working on and we're gonna play them for you now and the whole place is like oh yeah i mean even the big artists go through that people don't want to hear stuff they know unless it's entertaining you know so you need that like you said you need that audience that's sitting there watching and taking in what you're doing it's that would probably if you
1: if you do a new song and make it a make it a hit now you're allowed to play it for me yeah but don't use me as your test market you know i paid 150 bucks for this ticket i want to hear your hit yeah exactly (laughs) no it's a trap and you know uh being in in comedy you know you like i say to people you can't do your greatest hits you got to Every tour I do, I got to create a whole new show, which is a, that's a whole lot of work in itself. But to me, that is much more appealing than getting out year after year and and just recycling my hits from 30, 40 years ago. That would drive me nuts.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only person you you think that can really do that would be someone like Andrew Dice Clay, who has, you know, those particular things that people go and repeat his jokes to him. Yeah. I mean, what a weird thing that is for a comedian, right? Where you have to do your old stuff. Right. And while you're telling your jokes, people are actually saying the jokes back to you at the same time, which is like, that's gotta be really weird. But,
1: uh, (laughs) I think that is a whole other thing. Yeah. That's Rocky Horror Picture Show as stand-up.
0: Yeah. But so Smith and Smith and you're working at the, uh, the pub there. Yeah. Well, let Uh, me tell you how that, how
1: that went. Because, uh, we went on and on, this diminishing returns and, and uh, selling equipment to, to pay the rent. And finally, we di- we came to the end of it, and um, we just there was nowhere to go. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to take the last few pennies we got. We're going to go to Europe, have a little holiday, camping or whatever. And then when we come back, we'll sell aluminum siding or whatever it takes. Just go yeah. get a job and survive. And the phone rings, and it was... Uh, A guy named Jim Scarrett, Scarrett Promotions.
0: Yep, I know who that
1: is. Okay, and he says um, he had seen us at the new Windsor House, and he'd like us to be the opening act for Al Martino, who's like an Italian crooner, you know, at Hamilton Place. I said, well, I appreciate that, Jim, but like you're too late. We've already decided this this isn't going anywhere. We're out of here. So I hang up, and of course Morig brings me back to you call him right back <laughs> so i called him back so we we opened for al martino at hamilton place and and uh, we didn't know it but uh, that was kind of our try out for jim and then he gave us six or seven more days we went across canada yeah. opening for uh, for al martino and then that we did that a lot over the next few years but th- this is the important one because when we got back from that tour it's now october november whatever it was and so, okay, that was great. That was, that's the kind of thing we wanted to do, but now what? Yeah. We go back to the new Windsor house, like what, what do we do now? Yeah. So, you know, again, Maureen says to me, well, she says, uh, we need to have a television show. I said, okay, I'm in, you know. <laughs> How do you suppose we do that? She said, well, she says, that's, that's the first decision. We gotta have a television show, and we don't care where it is, you know? Yeah. We don't care if we have to go to Baffin Island, because we should be on television, because that's the kind of material we're doing. I said, okay. She says, but we might as well start in Hamilton. That's where we are. We were living in an apartment in Stony Creek. So I start calling over to get somebody to talk to it in Hamilton, the right, yeah. CHCH. Yeah. And the guy, the guy's name was Frank Denardis, who's a general manager and vice president. And I call, I'm calling every day for three weeks, and all I get is I'll take a message, Mr. Denardis is at a meeting, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So, uh, you know, Every day, my wife's reminding me. So, so finally, I'm I'm at the end of my rope. And, and she says, "Did you call Mr. Denares today?" I said, "No, I didn't." Well, you get in there and call. I said, "No, no, you know, I'll tell uh-huh. you what. Why don't you call him? You, know, you you feel what it's like to call and go through that BS, right?" Yeah. So she goes in. She didn't want me to hear the call. She goes in the bedroom, calls from that phone, comes back out. We got a meeting Tuesday. <laughs> so <laughs> i gotta tell you there's no proof of this but back in those days when a woman calls for a tv executive they put the call through because they don't know <laughs> so we go in we go in and i got this whole presentation that we're going to do this is the tv show and the format and all this stuff yeah and he says before you start he says i gotta tell you uh, i was in the audience for the al martino show Oh wow! And he said, uh, and we got a, we had a great review. He says, I thought yeah. the review was a little a little harsh on you. He says, so somebody's going to give you a television show. Might as well be us. Now, what do you want to talk about? All oh, these months, oh. unbelievable. And 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 for, gosh, I'm going to say eight or nine nine seasons. I think one was a half season, so eight and a half seasons. It was a handshake. Yep. Frank, I go in and talk to Frank, uh, telling him what more I wanted, and. Uh, he would say okay he says just write it up on a piece of paper so i can have so i can see what i said you know yeah i mean just and and later when when we had a falling out with new management and new ownership and everything else a contract wasn't enough oh yeah, yeah. i mean it, talk about a 180 you know yeah anyway that's a whole other subject
0: so what was it like starting a tv show you've never done a tv show before uh you got to create the show what what was that process all like
1: well it was you know you you, you, were all, you had to go all in i mean it was just yeah. n- a massive amount of work because there was no budget and uh i was writing everything i was writing all the sketches and all the songs and everything and it was it was it was a, it was a lot and we were, we had no money we had uh our our fee was $500 a show we did 13 shows so 6500 yeah we did the first uh, 13 episodes and that was all the writing, all the performing, the whole shebang. Wow.
0: So what's and, the f- format of the, sh- obviously, 30-minute show? Yeah, it was yeah. 30
1: minutes. It, it You know, I, I tell people it was kind of like the Canadian Sonny and Cher, you know, yeah. except maybe the songs were a little more original in terms of their comedy songs and everything. Yeah. Cher was just, she just came out flat out sang, which Maureen did a bit of that as well, but we had the other the other mixed in with it. Uh, but I, I had, we did eventually have guests, yeah. but I don't think in the first, first thirteen we did. And I had friends say to me, and, "and don't just don't do it. Don't just say no way. You're not doing it for that. That's not even union minimums. You know and everything. Yeah. You know what? This is our opportunity. Let's see how we do. You know. Yeah. And it turned out to be a good way to go.
0: So did you get uh, syndicated as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. And by the time the second season came along. When we did, the, we did the the pilot based on our meeting with, with Frank and then by the time the pilot came in, it was obvious that Morag was pregnant. Let me tell you this other story. <laughs> Let me tell you this other story. Back before any of this, before Al Martino and all that stuff, we were starving to death out in our apartment in Stony Creek, like I say, selling stuff to pay the rent. And I come, I, I, I decided that our problem was we, we didn't have enough debt. That's, that's, the, that's the way I think. So I went... Uh, Moreg's dad wanted us to own a house, not to yeah. rent anywhere. So um, I said to him, "Well, if you if you can see your way to lend me five thousand dollars, I can use that as a down payment in the house. You could buy a house in Hamilton for under fifty grand." Yeah. Right? So he was. Do- so he did that. So then, so now I'm barely paying the rent. I put five thousand dollars down on a house. Uh, on on Kensington Avenue in Hamilton. Then I went to the bank, and I said, I want to start my own business. I need a five thousand dollar business loan. And they said, so Do you have any equity? I said, Yes, I have five thousand dollars equity in this house. I didn't tell them it wasn't my equity. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got the loan, so I got so now I got. I got a $10,000 debt, but 5,000 to her dad and the other 5 to the bank. Anyway, I'm excited. Yeah. I come home like, this is great. I have got $10,000 debt. We can now we can do something, you know. Yeah. So, I, she's not there. <laughs> I, where the heck, you know? So she comes home about 45 minutes later. Where were you? At the doctor? Guess what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you know uh, one of the funny things is, like there was no reason at all to be happy. We were ecstatic. Like yeah. we didn't we didn't think about the responsibility of that, or now we're really screwed financially. You know, it was yeah. just like, wow, this is fantastic. So sometimes when, when things aren't going my way, and I get kind of upset about, it, I think if that wasn't bad, this can't be bad. You know? Yeah, exactly. So then we did the when we did the pilot, like she was always <laughs> obviously pregnant. So they said, okay, we're going to pick up the series, but we're going to wait till after she has the baby. Yeah. So, okay. So that was Max. He was born in July. So we started this. Doing the next season, like in September or something. Well, she was she was pregnant again. Mm. So by the time we ended that season, she was starting to show. I was just like, oh. they said, okay, we're going to give you another season, but keep him away from her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we didn't have any more kids. We had a career instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what you got syndicated in the second year? Yeah, um, and so just syndi- in Canada. Just in Canada. Can, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is still really big at that time. Um,
1: it was a business then. There were a yeah. lot of independent stations. You know, yeah. they had their own awards, Canpro Awards or something. That we used yeah. to be involved. Yeah, I mean, it was a... I mean, I talked about the the, the bar business before. Well, the TV business went the same way. I mean, I t- the last place I'd want to be today is in the television business. And yeah. it was just such a booming thing for so many years.
0: Well, you look back then, um, you know, that was... The local channels were really putting together lots of shows. Oh, I mean, yeah. you look at all the... I remember growing up, and remember all the great shows, the local shows, um, used to watch all the time, and they're producing tons of stuff. Now they produce nothing. No. Like well, they, nothing. Well, they
1: don't have to. No. You know, they had to in those yeah. early days. Either they couldn't afford programming, or this once the CRTC stepped in, which was like mid-'70s, um, they had to, based on their based on their revenue and you know um this same guy frank denardis unfortunately passed he's passed away but he he and i became really good friends and and one day well they wanted me to do something um about the station they can do a presentation so i wanted to know the history of CHCH. yeah and so i came in one day and i said you know could you just give me half an hour just tell me give me the story so he. he secretary, hold my calls, cancel my meetings. And we sat there, I'm gonna say four or five hours, and he told me the whole story. It was incredible. Wow. They were making money from moment one. They were hiding cash up in the ceiling panels. It was just crazy, crazy. I yeah. mean, it was just a very lucrative business for a long time, Yeah. and then competition came in and it all kind of went away.
0: So, obviously, once you started doing your show, I'm sure your uh, live gigs really started to take off.
1: Yeah, well then we started to do more well, we didn't want to just do clubs and everything. So we yeah. we only just wanted to do like the the opening act thing. So we did that for oh gee, a bunch. Like uh Rick Nelson, Roy Orbison, mm. uh oh, I can't remember them all. Helen Reddy. Remember Helen Reddy? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. James Darren. Yeah. I mean just so we would do those tours and that was a that was kind of fun.
0: So the format was just the two of you. Uh were you just a duo still at that point when you were doing those openings? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was just you and know, I'd play guitar and we'd sing and do some stuff.
0: So you probably, obviously, you, you figure if you had uh, Facebook and all that back then, how? Yeah, you know, that would have been what a great extension that would have been to doing the TV and connecting and growing things. But obviously, TV was the way to go. Stevie still, you can't beat being on TV yeah, it's really... No,
1: but you know, the thing that that always bothered me about television and I, and I had some friends like Frank Denartis was he was like my teacher in <laughs> grade six, you know. He he allowed me access to he he gave me the opportunity. Yeah. But so many other places uh, you run into somebody who 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 won't, you know. And and to be fair to them, they're they're put in that position. That's their job. They're, they're the ones that say yay or nay, but they're not, they're not always right. Yeah. And, uh, with the way things are now, almost everybody has access to everybody. Yeah. You know, if you've got something of value and, and you really believe in it and you're prepared to tough it out, just put it out there and it'll, you know, you'll see how it goes, yeah. you know? Whereas, I mean, so many, uh, people I knew, well, I mean, myself, I'm free. I tried to get on CBC for 20 years. And I just could never find a fit in there, and yeah. and the only well, there's two reasons we we got uh I got my show onto CBC. One was because the the uh, the programming guy uh, took it, had his teenage boys at a jumbo video to rent movies, and then when they showed up at the counter, they had one of my specials in their hand, yeah. and he's going, "What? Like that's a Canadian thing, and we don't have it, you know." That was one part and the other part was I had an audience and they they wanted my audience. So that's I got on I didn't sell the CBC my show, I sold them my audience. Yeah. So,
0: you know, which is important yeah. now. I mean, that's kind of the way it works now on social media. You're to get Absolutely. yeah, you're selling your audience the, yeah. the bigger numbers you have. Uh, yeah. You know.
1: When you know in my when I started the Red Green show, like like Smith and Smith uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Should I stop? Should I stop getting ahead of myself? That's all right. Well, I'll tell you the story because it doesn't matter. Um, I was still at CHCH, and we had done one season. We got renewed for a second season, and then they had all kinds of financial problems, and they they just called me in and said uh, they're not going to honor the contract, and uh, I'm done. You know. Yeah. And I'm to, just to get out and move out and everything. So I said, well. That's not going to work because uh I can't cancel my contracts, you know I'm on the hook for all these actors and everything so yeah. so what they said was uh well um I, I said what 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 do you need to be whole? you obviously you have a you know financial problem with my show and he said uh I think he said a hundred and forty five thousand dollars I'm, I'm just going to put that's it's something like that so I said, I'll tell you what." I'll get you the $145,000, but I want everything I've ever done. I want all the Smith and Smith shows, all the red, green, everything. I want total ownership of all that and I'll let you out of the contract. And it was one of those weird things in life where he's, he's laughing as I shake his hand, like what an idiot. And I'm walking, I'm walking out the door. I don't want to turn back and look at him cause I'm smiling so big. Yeah. I'm fifty thousand dollars overdrawn at the time. I don't know where I'm going to get a hundred forty-five thousand, but at least I now I got a plan, right? Exactly. So uh, they took the show off the air, and now what's happening is I'm getting letters from f- like viewers. I'm I'm talking a thousand a day. I would go down to the post office uh, on Kenilworth, and it was like miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. The guy hand me a little bundle of mail, like fifty letters. This is your mail because I had a post office box for the show. Yeah. And then I turn around and he oh no, wait, I think there's more. And he'd come up with these boxes of, of mail for wow. me. To, and that's, what formed, that's where we formed the, uh, the lodge out of that. We started to say, let's make these people lodge members because they're all very supportive, do what you have to do to keep the show on the air, all that kind of stuff. And it was such a, it was like that conversation with the manager of Deep Purple. It was another life moment for me. It was like, holy cow, I was focused on the program director I forgot who the customer was. Yeah. The customer's the audience, you yeah. know? And up until then, we had never had a live studio audience for Red Green, for example. So and now so now I'm working, okay, boom, 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 boom. And I had some guys in Toronto helping me and market see where we could go. So we ended up, uh, and I'm, I'm putting money away. I got the 50,000 paid off. Now I'm trying to gather up as much money as I can. I knew CH's uh, year end, was uh, July 31st. Yeah. So as long as, I had, as long as I had it in that year end, it'd be fine, right? So, so I'm thinking, okay, if I can pull this together, uh, I want everybody who was in that meeting to be there when I bring the check in. You know, otherwise, I'm not bringing the check in. This is, this is me talking to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought, no, that's not good enough. You know, I, I want the owner of, it was, it was WIC Communications, that a big corporate you know, national company. I want the president of Wick. To come fly in from Vancouver to get the check you know because that's a, you know what I mean yeah, yeah being a jerk, you know, but it, it motivated me, so finally uh the day came july thirty first came and uh, i go i'm I'm at home, and uh, I get a phone call from the their financial officer saying uh, it's july thirty first I said yep, he said, weren't you uh, supposed to bring us a check today? I said, I dropped it off at security. <laughs> 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 it was, it was meaningless to me at that point. Yeah, you know, I'd I, I moved forward. I, I'd gotten on with everything. You but know? it got you there. It got me there. Yeah, forward yeah. movement is a. I highly recommend forward movement.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. So let's jump back. Yeah. Um, and Smith and Smith finishes up that show. So how you how do you make the transition from from that into to starting the Red Green show?
1: Well, uh, when Smith & Smith, uh, we, 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 we felt we'd gone as far as it could go. And uh, Morag, is like she's a driving force here. She's, she wanted us to do some kind of a sitcom because she felt our kind of show was passe. Were, there weren't variety shows on TV anymore. Yeah. There were music shows, there were comedy shows. And most of the comedy shows were sitcoms. So we created a sitcom called Me and Max, and we had to be able to do it for the same budget as Smith and Smith. So we used our kids, and everybody had multiple characters, and it was a, it was an exercise. So we did that for a year, and then I got a call from Telefilm. Uh, some guy worked there saying, you know, we we've got money for productions, and you, you know, you we're the kind of people you we sh- you're the kind of people we should be supporting, right? So yeah. I said, like, come on in and let's talk about it. So I think, well, this is going to solve our problem. Now we'll have a enough budget to do something so I go in to see them and they got rules and one of them is you can't do anything like anything you've ever done before yeah because they're afraid the broadcasters will just use it as a way to subsidize what they were already doing oh yeah all right yeah so now I gotta call oh, oh okay you know so we created this thing called comedy mill so we got three very talented people and we had a bunch of writers and you know we just kind of took it up a notch got a a dr- fancy schmancy director and and you know and and tried tried our hand at that but and I wrote all the music and so on but we had, we had music videos and the production value was way up and beyond but it just never caught it never it didn't click the way yeah. Smith and Smith did because it wasn't connecting at the personal level right so, yeah so then it was we did that for a couple of years and then it was like okay well now what you know I mean I've done all I've done pretty much everything everybody wanted me to do and. You know, it didn't, yeah. didn't work out so good. So let me see what I would like to do. And in fact, Maureen said to me, well, you decide what you want to do and then we'll just go along with that. Well, I'd always enjoyed being red-green. and I'd created the character in 78. So it was, by this time, it's like 88. So it's 10 years old. And so uh CHCH was still friendly to me. So I went in and just pitched, just doing a some kind of red-green show. and And back to the old... Level of budget, low budget, no telephone. I don't want to be waiting for some government agency to decide whether or not I have enough money to go ahead doing something I don't yeah. want to do anyway. You yeah. know, and so they agreed to that, and and uh, and that, and then and then away we went. And it was and it, it was from the beginning. I'm from the first episode that went on the air. I something was. I knew something was going on. So, yeah, but it's uh, it's it's funny how you, when you look back, like talking to you. you from where you start to where you get to, it's you know. Oh, I know. You don't think about it. If you ever saw it, you'd think, "Oh, I'm not. I'm just going to go work at Stelco.
0: Well, I even think back at you know going back to Smith and Smith, um, the amount of work I know t- t- to put that together. First of all, you go out and play. You have a repertoire of songs you do. Yeah. And and you're not doing the uh, dances anymore, so you've probably narrowed your amount of songs down to a certain amount. But now you got to do year after year of TV shows. And yeah. you gotta be writing songs, you gotta be doing new songs, and you gotta have all this material, which is a lot of work. Yeah. I know with the Walters family, we had a couple uh, uh, television shows with uh, CKCO and Kitchener. Oh yeah. A couple series and two or three specials. The biggest issue was like, okay, we gotta come up with a bunch of new songs. Because yeah. you're used to playing this set of songs, but you've already burned through those songs. Right. Now you gotta do other songs, but they have to be just as entertaining as the other ones. Right. And that's tough. And it's a lot of, people have no idea how much work that is. No. And you gotta be confident that it's, because every entertainer does what they do well. And yes. sometimes you have to stretch out of your boundaries a little bit just to cover some space. And that's the, that's the stuff that's really trying on you, because now you, you gotta come up with some more songs. You gotta, okay, maybe we gotta do a little bit more, music this way or this style, just to kind of fill in some stuff. And then you get into uncomfortable zone, right? Yeah. Where you're going outside of your comfort zone as a, a musician. That's why I always find weird, uh, I know I'm jumping here, but if you watch uh, American Idol, right? Yeah. Or one of those shows and you've got a singer who's definitely a rock guy or yeah. someone who's more classical, whatever, yeah. and every week, now it's country week. It's yeah. like, well, this guy's not a country no. singer. No. Why are you forcing him to do I know. something that he's not good at, I know. and then you're judging him for it? I know. It's really bizarre. I know, um,
1: it's like Las Vegas is running American Idol. They want the, the variety guy.
0: Yeah, and you can't be good at everything.
1: Almost, there might be an exception, but I was gonna say almost, I'll say almost, no singer that i like would ever win American idol now some of yeah. the singers to me who have won are really really good but they're once they get out of there they focus on a niche you know and that's what that's what they're going after i mean like Carrie Underwood is country crossover that's what she's doing yeah she's not a rocker she's not a blues singer she's you know
0: but so, she's able you know there's a few that
1: the, she's got the the guns to do it yeah, yeah
0: she can cross over and do a bunch of different things yeah. but some of these kind of quirky, unique singers that you really like.
1: Oh, can you imagine Bob Dylan on American Idol? How do you oh. think that'd go? <laughs> or Neil Young.
0: Yeah. Eh? Oh, yeah. It's Broadway week.
1: <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> need some higher leg kicks, Bob.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's strange. So <laughs> your, your first uh, Red Green episode. Yeah. Uh, did it just kind of fall into place, or did you really feel like you had to spent a lot of time getting it figured out
1: uh you know we to to do the presentation for the idea of the show we'd already put a lot of work into it and yeah. by now uh there's a guy named rick rick green who was in a group called the frantics and he and i had been working together at that point for probably 10 years uh, where he would write little things for me and then I would bring him in and, and have him really be, you know, almost like an assistant show writer kind of thing. And then on Red Green, he was, he and I were, we created the show together and, and wrote it all together for the first probably six, seven, eight seasons. Uh, so I had help, you know, it's something I, that I, I did it on my own. Uh, but we had it pretty well laid out and we're just going to have fun. I mean, to, it was going to be a summer job. This was going to yeah. be... A, maybe six months and that's then we then we go find something serious to do you know because we're doing goofy things you know turning a clothes dryer into a popcorn machine and it's just wacky stuff and no budget I mean I can remember one of the things we we're doing we we're going to put gullwing doors on a 78 granada <laughs> so so I had first thing i had to do is take the doors off right so we're we're shooting this thing and it's just me and the camera guy and an audio guy and a lighting guy so four and and sandy are production manager five of us there so i am doing the bit i pull the i pull the door out open wide now we cut now i get out a oxy acetylene welder cut the hinges to almost all the way i'm doing it i'm Mm -hmm. cutting it. then i get in the possum van now we roll the cameras i drive the van up slam the door off you know i mean that's just that's the way we did it it was like we were nine years old building something in the backyard yeah and having a ball and the fact that people enjoyed it uh it was it was a miracle it, but i will say this it was so different from anything else on television yeah that even if you didn't like it you were aware of it exactly. you know we didn't get lost in the
0: noise so obviously you you know you did all these things where you were building and so up up until then were you just this, this handy guy all along were you that's something part of your dna or is it something you kind of transitioned into for the tv show
1: i'm a i'm a i'm a special kind of handy guy yeah. okay if you've got uh, something that doesn't work. You got an engine that doesn't run something that's not functioning properly. I'm your guy. Yeah. If you want to redo the kitchen, I'm not your okay, guy. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I know how things work. Uh, probably from 14, 15 years of age, I was working on gas engines and rebuilding stuff. And I, I, I still do. I got, I have, I have old cars now that I keep on the road myself. Yeah. So I have a mechanical aptitude and I have an interest in doing that. And I because I have I, what I think is a, is a, a comedic mind which is I see things differently than other people do, which is not always an asset, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Like that's probably why I shouldn't be in sales. Yeah. But it's the same with mechanical things. When I see something, you know, when I see a an auger that, you know, drills down into the ground, to me it's like, well I could use that to pull things up. Like I see the opposite of how it could be used, yeah. you know that that kind of thing It's just yeah. if you look at things differently, and then people, most people haven't looked at it that way. So they, it's not it's not just they find it funny; it's a surprise that oh, that could do that. You could use a mix master to open and close your your windows in your car.
0: Yeah, that's it. Takes a special mind to <laughs> to put all that stuff together. It's amazing. Uh, so the TV show, as you mentioned, got into second season, and then you had to look at financing it. Yourself after that, were you? That's correct, right? After the second, well,
1: time once it got canceled, yeah, yeah then canceled. I had to find another. CHCH was no longer going to be supporting the show, so yeah. then then we really danced around after that.
0: It's uh so that must have been you knew you had something good on your hands, and then
1: yes, from the time the the, the letters came came in, yeah, uh, I knew that I was on something, so. I thought for the sake of those people, I need to do something and also uh, treat it as a rant. I don't think Canadians are like naturally effusive. I hope you won't take offense at that, but yeah. you know, they tend to, they can really like you and come up and say, hey, not bad, you know? Yeah. Whereas Americans are quite demonstrative both ways. Yeah. They don't like you, man. You you know, there's no secret. But I thought when I watch Monday Night Football, I look at 100,000 people in the stadium, I think, I wonder if there's any red-green fans there, you know? I mean, yeah. the, the potential red-green fans. So really, the the, the letters from the, the Canadians when the show was canceled encouraged me to see if we can get something happening south of the border. And it was another one of those things where we went everywhere trying to get somebody to pick us up, and it was there was a gatekeeper, you know, like those access people yeah. everywhere. It was just This was just outside of the box, and they just couldn't. And finally, uh, one of the agency representatives took it to somebody at PBS you know they have a they have a syndication wing and uh they thought me you know what this this might be a show that people really like and therefore will write a check yeah because that's what PBS is all about and there was a guy in uh in in Detroit Jerry Trainer, is his name he was the manager of the station and he he was the first one to pick up the Red Green show, and he was a very well-respected man in there in the PBS world. Yeah. So then we had five, and we had we started with five stations, and uh, they started having success. Now the Detroit thing, I got to be honest, was somewhat based on the fact that c- that station comes into Canada. So when they yeah. raise money, and Canadians, nothing Canadians like more than seeing a Canadian show on a U.S. channel. Yeah. They share in that success. Yeah. And then, and then away we went and we started we, we became the number one fundraising series for PBS. I mean, I'm not talking about where they'll bring in an Eagle special. It has nothing to do with them. They didn't produce it or anything. It's just they're just yeah, glomming onto it. Yeah. A, a show that they run every week. We were their number one. and we ended up doing live satellite, uh, I call them Begathons, but I presented them as Pledge Otainment, where we would entertain and ask for the money all at the same all in the same mishmash. And we did, I'd say, three of those live via satellite. Um, two of them we did from Hamilton, and one we did from the CBC. And it was kind of neat. I mean, we're we're going into thirty million homes uh, from you know from Hamilton, from the place that had fired me. It was kind of yeah. cool, you know. And so that we at at our zenith, we were 120, 120 PBS stations. And now, I mean, don't forget, I stopped doing the show in two thousand and six. I mean, it went off the air like. The first runs went off the air in 2006. So here we are 12 years later. I don't even know how many PBS stations I got left, maybe 15 or 20. It doesn't matter because we're on YouTube. And I get kids coming to these uh, concerts, these shows, didn't know the show was ever on television. Yeah, discovering it. I'm so lucky that YouTube came along as my television exposure was dwindling, you know, because the station would... Would call me and, and say, well, well, we're not we're not going to pick it up next year. And I say, oh, okay. And like an hour later, we're on YouTube in their area. And then we use Facebook to let the viewers know that when we don't worry, you know, now you can watch it anytime you want. You know, anyway.
0: So, that's fabulous. Yeah, it is. Yes, I think it's changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's a medium that you can just you can get it anywhere. Get anywhere, no ads. Yeah, well, very and anytime few you want to watch it. Yeah,
1: and yeah, yeah. It suit you. Whatever suits you. And you want to go back and see that again or whatever? No problem.
0: So when when did you start actually going out and doing live comedy stuff on? Okay, events? well
1: here's here's what happened. Um, when I left, I left the show. Uh, we did the we shot the last episode November twelfth, I think, two thousand and five. So um, <coughs> the University of Toronto wanted my hat to go in their archives. The University of Toronto Library, I should say. So I gave them the hat, which was the same hat I'd worn the whole 300 episodes, 15 seasons. I'd been offered 5000 U.S. for it and turned it down because it had sentimental value to me. Yeah. Anyway, so that was done. I was done being red-green, 2006. Well, so we spend our winters in Florida, and my wife is a really good singer. And there was another guy there, was an Irish guy, and he had been in a gospel group. And, uh, yeah, we're in uh, maybe a karaoke bar. I don't know, somewhere. Anyway, out of the blue, he says, uh, what do you think about singing together? The three of us, you know, to, to tracks. So, okay. You know, just, you know, for a hobby or something. Right. So, yeah. so we belong to a club called the, let Mi- me close that door? No, no, I'm good. Okay, good. Uh, we belong to a club called Miramar golf club. And, uh, so, so we call ourselves the fabulous Miramars, and the three of us. we do three- part harmony and i had I had done vocal arranging uh, as a job in in uh, in the late 70s while we were starving to death. A friend of mine managed a bunch of bands, so I, I had some experience in that. So we did some really neat we did, only did the songs we liked, and I would edit tracks together, so we'd do medleys and so on and uh, and he was a really good singer, and i can and my wife's a good singer, and I, I can and I can fill in you know how you you can fill in the spot. If you're reasonably in tune, you, you know, it makes it all sound good. Yeah. And it was really fun. We had a lot of fun. We'd, we would perform at local golf clubs, and there's a, a friend of mine owns a little bar in Florida, and I, we'd go and perform there once a month. And uh, then I got a call uh, from the Halifax Symphony saying that um, they wanted me to do a red-green thing with the symphony. So I said, well, I'll do it, but what I would like to do is come out as Smith & Smith, then bring... Tom out and do the fabulous Miramars and then I'll do the second half as red green. And I was really looking to do that as a way of wrapping up the trio because it was coming to an end. He was moving to Dallas and it was just, and we got the Windsor symphony too. So we come, we did, we did those two jobs and the second half where I had to be red green, everything kind of came together for me. It was like, I really enjoyed being on stage. Uh, Although I enjoyed the musical part of it, I enjoyed more saying things that the audience would laugh at. Yeah, and uh, I thought, you know what? Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm not done. You know, I got my hat back out of the library, and uh, and away we went. And so then I did. That was now let's say 2009. So I decided, as a a way of seeing whether or not I could pull off a one-man show, and also a way of helping PBS. I decided to do a tour, a U.S. tour. PBS stations, anybody who would have me. They have they they're the promoters. You know they they get yeah. the venue, they promote the event, and they get all the money, every penny of the ticket sales. All they had to do was cover my travel costs, which are minimal. I mean, I yeah I travel alone. I, I fly economy. I stay at cheesy hotels. You know yeah. So I did that and uh, and raised a whack of dough for them. I probably did forty shows and. I mean the one in Alaska, they raised over $100,000. So I mean it was wow. a, it was a. Big deal, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was millions yeah. of dollars to PBS. And uh, I had stations that, that wouldn't pay my travel expenses. And I'm talking, wow. I remember Salt Lake City, it was, it was like $708 and they wouldn't pay. And you know, two years later they haven't paid. And that's, you know, it's not that I need the $708. It's just, that's disrespectful. So I had our law firm contact them and we got the money. And we also got a message that it was our fault that they hadn't paid because we didn't pester them
0: enough. Oh gosh.
1: And I was just like, okay. (laughs) So then Brian came along Mm -hmm. and said, uh, would you, he, he had come to one of these in Daytona Beach. I think he came to one of the, the shows. He said, Would you like to do it, you know, like as a commercial venture? And I said, Yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed the work, you know. And I, I mean, I didn't want to slap PBS in the face, but yeah. I, there, I, I gave you, you know what I mean? We're, we're done here, you know. You didn't lose. So now, can, is it my turn now, you know? And they're so, a lot of the PBS stations are very angry with me for doing it, you know, without them you know, exactly. and, and told me that we would, we would fail. And, you know, so here we are three tours, four tours later, we're doing fine, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so yeah. So that was that one time that Brian saw you down in Florida. He kind of, yeah. Brian's finding out he needs to see something or he just needs to, uh, have a, he almost needs a vision of some sort before he can get behind something yeah I, to...
1: I think he i think he came down to watch the audience to be honest with you yeah me. see what's what's going and, on and see who they were you know how how enthused they were Um uh, because he i mean he stuck with me through all these years and we went we did uh one of the tours was right through hurricane sandy and we're and we're on the east coast and like we just said to people don't worry about it. If you've got a ticket and can't make it, we'll give it, we're giving you a full refund. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just.
0: I was there. I was well, there that you one. go. I remember that one. remember that one. <laughs> oh, I remember almost running out of gas.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Jeez. The up for miles and miles. Yeah. And I remember the hydro trucks. I've never seen, never seen that many hydro trucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, uh, he sensed that the audience was loyal and, uh, and was growing and also was getting younger. That's the biggest surprise. Our average age was getting younger. That's how I did more and more tours. Usually it goes the other way, you know.
0: So what was it like putting together that first tour you went out with Brian and putting the material together? What was that process like for you? Yeah,
1: you know, you wanna lean back. I mean, I had I had done 15 seasons of Red Green, so I yeah. had lots of stuff to lean back on, but. And, and that gives you a comfort. You think, okay, I've got to say, worst comes to worst, you know, I'll cherry pick, nobody's gonna remember everything. Yeah. But then you get to the point, you know, it's a different animal, totally. Television and live performance, totally different animal. You you, you know, you, you've gotta be so much more conversational because the person's right there. And, you know, when you talk the, the stuff through that you thought you were gonna do, and it's just like, eh, that this doesn't work. So you end up writing it. So. It, it it makes a bigger load on you creatively but again going back all those years to that guy from deep purple if i can't if i can't create something that people want to hear i don't deserve to be there you know so let yep. it's better for both of us if we, if we find out right away you know yeah and the, um to get out there and you you never know you know when you you know, you know this you get on stage and what you thought was going to be really strong isn't so strong yeah. and what you thought you was a bit of filler was really strong. You know, I mean, just... You get you get surprised both ways. But they're not wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's different for you, too. You take a lot of comics uh, who are famous now. They go into the clubs and work out all the material. Yeah. So they'll sit there and they'll do the 12-minute spot. And they'll go in week after week or day after day and just keep working it and working and working and working it until it's good. And then they'll go on tour. Yeah. Uh, you, in most cases... Every case. Yeah. You go... Your first time out, the Coming first, out right first the show. yeah, yeah, which is really hard. It's man.
1: hard, but my audience isn't in the, co- the comedy club. So no, if if I went and did comedy clubs, I would come up with a red green show that no red green fan would like. Exactly, yeah, because the stuff in, in that works in comedy clubs is so aggressive, so angry, so obscene. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, they don't, you know, they're kind of it's a yawn for yeah. them. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it's like get up on stage and see how badly you can demean yourself and everybody there for the next 10 minutes. You know, yeah, yeah. I just feel like I've there's a guy, named Craig Ferguson, the you know, late yes. night guy yeah. went to, I thought I, I liked him. I, I thought he had a really sharp mind, quick, witty. Yeah. I went over to see him in uh Seminole casino in Immokalee, Florida. And like 10 minutes in, I'm like, I have to leave now and maybe have a shower. You know? Yeah. I'm just too,
0: I'm yeah, just, you it's know? Different. Way yeah, different, way different, way different but still getting out there and having to do that full show front to back in front of an audience without really talk, you know, there's the timing and the yeah. everything is, but you seem to nail it right from the very first show on. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, because I've seen all the first ones and, yeah, and there's no stumbling. Uh, there's no figuring it out. And I know as you get, you get going you figure like you said you you figure out which ones oh there's i didn't expect that or there's more laughter for this right and i I see it in you because it makes you chuckle sometimes yeah yeah you see something that worked that you weren't expecting or something and it makes you chuckle and Mm -hmm. um and, and that's really great but you must have to sit and just kind of run it and run it run it in your mind
1: well for example you know today is whenever the date is um my first show for the new tour is march 22nd yeah and like i've i've written the show now and and, we're in october we're in october Yeah, and uh starting maybe this week but next week at the latest i'll rehearse that show every day every day and and uh like i'll go for a walk i can't just sit there and do it i have to be walking around so there's something distracts me somebody honks their horn or a, a car goes by there's something to distract me and i can still stay on on the script yeah until i can do that i'm not ready you you can't believe how uh, what you think you know something well you know i don't tell you but you get on stage it's like uh oh you
0: know (laughs) well i know you know in our show we'll throw in a couple jokes here and there right so maybe i'll say two or three in a show yeah short little you know funny little things and i just know the time i spend running that in my head just those little ones so i know that i'm not going to stumble on it uh because the timing has got to be absolutely right. Yeah. And just for those. And I think, wow, now now I'm trying to do 90 minutes (laughs) of that where you don't have to like sit, you can do four or five songs and be playing. I know thinking about the next joke in your brain before you get to it. I know you can't,
1: I don't even have anybody else to talk, you know, (laughs) I'm up there by myself. So yeah, but you know, there, there's a key here that (laughs) I, I have, I have to get the show, I have to work at the show to the point where I think it's funny, right? Yeah. And once I think it's funny, it's like, I can't wait to get out there and yeah. share that with the audience, you know? And I wanna present it to them in the best possible way. And I used to be, like years ago, if I had a something that I thought was a bit soft, material that was a bit soft, but I, I need the time, Yeah. then I would kinda, I'd present it, I'd kinda throw it away almost. It's like, I gotta get through this story, you know? now my approach is if i get if i discover the audience lets me know that i've got a soft piece then i try to overperform it like i got my performance has to make up for what it's missing you know yeah and it's a it's a healthier (coughs) reaction to a problem sorry
0: yep (coughs) so as you're you're traveling around um are you one of these people who've you know you're at a store somewhere and something funny happens you have to go back and write it down or remember it because that's going to be a good bit or do you sit and you write or what's your approach on on putting a show together?
1: Well, I have this file of ideas. I call it RG Raw Material. So anytime I have a thought that I think may or may not have legs, I don't judge it. I just write it down. So I don't do anything until I've got a 100 ideas on the list. And then I say, okay, now I'm ready to start writing. So I say, okay, today... I'm going to find three ideas that I want to expand into a bit. Yeah. And I, I say to myself, if you've got a hundred ideas and you can't find three that you can expand, yeah, you really shouldn't be doing this. No, no. You know. <laughs> so like I shame my, I shame myself into doing it. Yeah. So once I use, I take those three out. I won't. I'll work on them. But while I'm working on them, I'm, I'm adding more. I won't, I won't work on anything else till so I add five ideas back into that list. Oh wow. Yeah. And so I've always got. In my mind, it's like, don't panic. You've got this huge supply of stuff and you'll find something, you know? Yeah. So that, that really helps me because once desperation creeps in, your first show is 10 days away and you, you're 20 pages short of a 23-page show, you know, yeah. that's a problem. And, and what happens is you'll do worse stuff. Because your mind convinces you that it's better than it is, because it knows it has no option. It yeah. can't make it. It doesn't have time to make it good. Yeah. So it has to convince you that what you got is good.
0: Do you find you have to? Do you do you know it's just funny yourself, or do you sometimes have to work your bit off of of somebody just to to make sure it's funny? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I do, but. I have what I think is funny, and and I'm and I'm right. Honestly, I'm right most of the time. Yeah. But I'm not right all the time. But if I said something to you that uh, and you find it funny or don't find it funny, that doesn't mean that an audience would react that same way. Right. There's Something about the group mentality. Yeah. Uh, some of the biggest laughs I got, I don't. I'm not sure that an individual person would find that funny. I mean, it's just the weirdest yeah it's thing. different when it's a group isn't it mm-hmm.
0: because it's like watching a funny movie mm-hmm. i know i'll sit and watch a funny movie and i'll think it's funny but i'm not laughing out loud no when you're sitting by yourself no. but you get 20 people in the room watching the movie with you all of a sudden you'll start laughing because everyone else is laughing exactly and, and but individually i'll never sit there and just laugh
1: no yeah. i mean i i laugh you've seen me laugh on stage when they laugh yeah Their laughing makes me laugh
0: yeah yeah and it's great because you know obviously i've i think i've seen the beginnings of all the tours and and usually come back near the tail end Mm -hmm. and very little has changed yeah like there's not much editing going on no uh maybe twisted the way you said something here and there but you don't do that first night and it's like okay i gotta take this out i gotta fix that it's pretty well um it's solid right from the first show you do right to the end and which is which is pretty amazing to be able to just jump out there and it, you know it's all good. But I guess that's just yeah working at so much work beforehand before you go out.
1: Yeah, I, I do put a lot of work into it and and I, and I know I know my audience. I, I know I know the kind of thing they like. and yeah. here's why because it's what I like. that's that is the, such a bonus. if if what the audience enjoyed was something that I don't like, I would be so resent having a career because I'd be so trapped yeah. into doing what I didn't want to do. And I mean I don't have a huge I don't have a huge following, but I'm absolutely true. I'm absolutely doing what I want to do. If I say something that's supposed to be funny, I actually think it's funny. It's not like some corporate guy who's been paid hundred thousand dollars to write this line yeah. told me this don't worry, Shecky, this'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so and I think people know that. This is the the line between Steve Smith and Red Green is pretty blurry.
0: Yeah. So doing shows now, obviously the big component is, is you do a big meet and greet pulse show. Um, that must be pretty fascinating going, going through that every show. And, and I know I've sort of been yeah. packing up around you and listening to, to people coming up. There's a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot of heavy stories. Too yeah. That. that well, um, I know
1: they lost somebody or something that, remi- you know, that was their, I reminded them of that person. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you you must hear that. That's got to be, you must have to kind of just, mm-hmm. you know, put that in a drawer and just kind of keep going to the next person because it's it'd be uh, yeah hard to take all the time. Yeah,
1: well, no, they wanted to tell they wanted to tell me so. Yeah, and it's important. It for got them. done, yeah. you know, and uh, it 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 means a lot to me. But it's it, like you know you can't dwell on that stuff. You got to one guy said to me one of the ones I'll probably remember my whole life. This was a guy about early twenties, twenty three. And he said to me, "You make me look forward to getting old." I thought, "Man, That's that cool. may be the greatest compliment I've ever had." Yeah, yeah isn't that cool? Yeah. And a lot of uh, you know young women say this was the show they watched with their dad. You know. Yeah. Because uh, you know the way families watch TV now is uh, somebody's up in the bedroom watching on their phone, somebody's watching on their iPad, different shows. You know. Yeah. Not too many shows a family watches all together. So, I'm proud of that, and uh, I get a man. I'm the meet and greets. I mean, I know a lot of entertainers can't stand them, but for me, it's just like, man, they, are you kidding me? You know, these are these are the people that got you what you got. You know, you gotta. It's a chance to say thank you, not get out of here. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and it's
0: rare that, you know I'm not sure what the percentage would be, but it's a large percentage of the audience that stays yeah. for a meet and greet. It's not yeah. like ten percent or yeah. it's 50, It's 70 percent of the I audience know. that and, are in the and line. And more
1: of them would stay if nobody stayed. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's true. They some of them probably see the lineup yeah. and they're like, "Oh yeah, oh, okay, we'll forget it." Yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah, that's that's really really uh, great. And and then merch wise on the road, uh, there's everything you can imagine, uh, which you've put together is is, is fantastic for the red green fan.
1: Um, yeah, and you know you always got to be bringing new things in you know they 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 buy stuff and they have more stuff than I have you know but <laughs> now this tour you know this could be it and we're calling it this could be it uh so I I think we're going to get more people staying for the meet and greet on the just on the chance that this is uh the final goodbye you know I mean not, yeah. not, nothing serious but in terms of this could be my last tour I don't know I mean I'm healthy I'll, I'll 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 judge it based on how the tour goes you know and do we sell any tickets and uh yeah are they do they get their money's worth you know
0: the tough thing about touring it's it's great when you're on stage and you're doing the performance mm-hmm. and all that stuff it's all the other stuff that's, mm-hmm. just, that's just you know the drives and the mm-hmm. you know all that that's difficult to i
1: hate to a get. night off so i said to brian yeah. like, let's just go and do it and let's get It's a military operation, you know. Yeah. You don't go into Afghanistan and get Saturday night off, you know. Just let's do it.
0: Yeah, and you get it. You get locked in. Yeah, you get a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want to. Even one day Uh can really mess that up. Yeah. And it's amazing. You think, well, it's nice to have a day off, but that one day. Yeah. Um, I know I was doing shows here at the theater. Uh, you know we'll go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Mm -hmm. and you get Sunday off, and then you think, oh, it's great, and you go back into Monday again. It's like. Gosh, I felt so, I lost my rhythm here. Yeah, what's, yeah, what's, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, and it's just that one day it can absolutely yeah. And it's worse on. when
1: you're on the road because you have the day off, but you don't have any of your stuff. You know, you're yeah. You're in Phoenix or Dallas or something. Yeah, you know?
0: and most likely you're traveling. It's not usually a, right.
1: The reason it's the day off is because you got to drive 800 yeah. miles. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah.
0: We, we're going to take this day off because it's a 15 hour drive to get to our yeah. next gig. Yeah, that's that's how it works a lot. So obviously you know this could be the last tour coming up or could not and um i know you've you've been spending a lot of time on online with stuff so you've you know obviously have everything up on youtube and yeah and your social media numbers are huge um now you've been getting into uh twitch right
1: Yes, I have two sons, yeah. Max and Dave. Season one, season two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, they they they've taken over, like let's say ninety percent of the company operation. All I'm doing now is is the uh, the live tours, really, and whatever else I feel like doing. But so they uh, Dave's done this Twitch th- <coughs> Twitch thing, which I think he's I think he's doing Sunday nights now. Uh, and he calls it Red Green Junior TV, and he talks them through an episode. And I watched the first one or the f- one of them. He's just really, really good. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying that. Yeah. He was a he was a youth pastor for four or five years. I mean, he, he does a lot of he did a lot of sermons in the church. So he he talks easily to people. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, you know he's he's built it up well. He's done a, got a lot of followers, and they got a beard growing contest on now. So I have to. I have to judge that before I head south so at the end of the month. That's but, awesome. Yeah, I well, the when, uh, when I s- stopped doing the show and my other son, Max, he was producing for our company. But when I left the company, kind of that, that thing kind of went away. The company kind of shrank and a lot of people left. And Max wasn't sure what he was gonna do. So I said, well, look, why don't, I think you need to be on your own, but why don't you and I try something together for a little while? And I said the first thing will be we have an online store, the Red Green shop thing, and it it was really just about breaking even for years. And uh, he he took so he took it on and just I mean had to make some changes in terms of who was fulfilling and where it's it's cheaper to ship things into Canada from North Carolina than it is from Winnipeg. You know, I mean it's just that's crazy crazy yeah. So. yeah, and you know, just made that all work and just so that just helps the whole the whole thing and then builds his confidence that he could uh, do that for, for somebody else. So, no they, they they they've done well.
0: So, tour coming up in March. It's going to be US first.
1: US first. Yeah, I think uh, 34 35 shows, something yeah. like that, and then Canada in the fall.
0: And then Spending your summers in Florida, or winters, I mean, in Florida? Yeah,
1: it's, yeah, just uh, like the first show is in March, is uh, in St. Petersburg. So we'll start there and then away we go. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of fought the old guy thing and then just logic eventually is like gravity, you know, you just, it eventually wins, you know. So I end up in Florida for. With all the old people. But actually, when you go to Florida, you find out two things. You're not old and you're not rich. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's very true. Well, it's been a pleasure sitting and chatting and uh, uh, learning about everything from when you started off. And it's a fascinating story. And I'm sure people are going to love hearing it. And uh, good luck with um, with the new tour. I'm excited to uh, to be out there working on it. And uh, what's the best way for people to find uh, Red Green on, online?
1: Redgreen.com. It's all yeah. there.
0: Yeah. Find everything from there. Yep. And uh, have fun. What do you, what's, what's your favorite thing to do now in the off season when you're not doing shows it's
1: well I I, you know, I I work on old cars I got a few old cars and I, there was one that's been a real challenge because I brought it to Canada and uh, to get it past the safety was oh my goodness yeah. had no emergency brake for example that's a no-no apparently <laughs> 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 so and I, I'm trying to get parts for it and there's these little arms that go in the back back uh brakes inside the drums and that's what works the emergency brake well they of course they're gone I mean yeah. years ago they went away So I get this guy in Ottawa, parts supplier. He says, well, you can get the passenger side, but they don't make the the driver's side one anymore.
0: So all that, all (laughs) you you pull on your emergency
1: brake and you start doing donuts, you know. So so I found a company in California that does sell the driver's side arm. You know, it's under $10, not a big deal. So I forwarded that to the guy in Ottawa saying, you know, FYI for your next customer. <laughs> anyway, stuff like that. I love doing that. I play a little bit of golf. I'm, I'm not very good, but I I kind of enjoy that. But I, I enjoy the social side of it more than the more than the game. Like and, and I and I like boating, so yeah, I mean life's really good. I got I kind of I got six six grandchildren now. Four legit and two that I've absorbed, but I love them all the same and um that's that that's a talk about a, a something that you, you says and does things that you don't expect. I mean, they're they're fantastic. Uh, my, my grand, I only, only one of them was a boy. Yeah. And uh, he comes to me, uh, there's some toy that doesn't work. And he's, at that time, he was maybe seven. <clears throat> and I said, well, it doesn't work because uh, the batteries, it's just the batteries are dead in it because it's electric, you know. And I I said, anything that's electric either has to have batteries or has to plug into the wall. He says, I don't think so. I said, no, no, I'm serious. It's either guys' batteries or plugs in the wall. No, I said, well, okay, okay. Name me something that's electric that doesn't have batteries or plug into the wall. He says, how about an electric eel?
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Love that guy. <laughs> Do they uh, uh, watch the show or know much about? That part of they tell their
1: teacher that their grandfather is is red green. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if they watch the show, but yeah, that's good
0: enough. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks yeah, for yeah. Uh, spending your time here, and uh, thanks for dropping by, and and I look forward to the new show, and have a great winter, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, thanks, Darren. I'll
0: see you on the road. This sounds good. Bye now.